0: Today, we talk about the world of wedding photojournalism on Behind the Shot. Hi, once again, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, and this is the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all the stories and challenges that happen in between, trying to better understand why a photographer Made the choices that they made. Before we get into today's show, a reminder for you if you are listening to the audio version of the show, we always have the show notes and the image that we're talking about up at behindtheshot.tv. So you can check it out there. You can also subscribe to the show at the website behindtheshot.tv, and you can subscribe either to an audio only feed or a video feed depending on what your podcast app of choice supports. Also the video it's up on YouTube for you too. Got a couple of quick announcements before I bring the guest in today. First of all I want to remind you that we do have the new Flurn discount code that Erin Nace of Flurn was so kind to give us. If you head over to Flurn and you sign up for a subscription, you can save 20% with the discount code that you see on screen. It's behind the shot 20 no spaces just behind the shot all one word and 20 the, the number 20, and that'll get you through everything that you need to sign up for there. And here's the big announcement. Those of you that follow me on social media or follow Don Komarechka on social media know that we've been talking about doing some, some joint stuff together and we're going to start doing some critique shows. So we've created a Flickr group called Behind the Shot. If you go over to, the Behind the, to Flickr and you search for Behind the Shot, you'll find the, the group. If you find me too, you'll find the group that I'm a member of. If you... Join the the behind-the-shot group. You can right now, at the time this show airs, submit your shots for the first critique show that I'm going to do with Don Komarechka. And all you have to do is tag your photo with BTS Critique. All one word. So tag it BTS Critique. That way we can search and find it. And then Don and I will do probably mid-November will be our first show. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're just going to be talking about your shots and how we think you might be able to improve your, your skill and your craft. And that brings us up to today. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit nervous, and I'm a little bit excited about today. And if you follow me on social media, you know why. The gentleman that I have on today is literally one of the best wedding photographers on the planet. I want to welcome Dennis Reggie to the show. Dennis, how are you? What a kind introduction. Doing great, Steve. Thank you so much for having
1: me on your program. I've, I've admired your, your whole series. And Skip Cohen turned me on to when Mutual you were a friend. Yeah, he's great. And uh, wow. You've done some amazing things, sir. You stay very busy. Thank you. Uh, aside from your amazing photography of uh, 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 musical performances and uh, live entertainment. Wow. Uh, you, okay. you have a busy, so, busy life.
0: Thank you very much. Coming from you, that means a lot. You are You're one of a rare breed. I want to touch on this first because I've had a number of Canon Explorers of Light on the show. You've been a Canon Explorer of Light like since the beginning of of the (laughs) program, pretty much. And, And I'm always fascinated by Canon Explorers of Light because it's not just that you are, you know, an ambassador for Canon, right? You're not a representative of Canon. Canon approached this whole type of concept in a unique way in that they went out and they found photographers that they think speak to photography as a whole in all different genres And you're one of them. Tell me, or for those that don't know, tell me a little bit about Canon Explorers of Light.
1: You know, there are probably uh, four dozen of us that Canon has identified. who, who they think are um, leaders and uh, doing image-making and spreading a message that's positive and good for the industry. In the wedding area, which is obviously the area that I'm involved in, there are a wonderful handful of us. Uh, uh, Joe Bucink comes to mind and Clay Blackmore and, uh, and Bob Davis and, and, so, and others. But it's a, it's a terrific group, uh, young, it's men, it's women. But uh, Canon came up with this idea in the mid-90s, and I was honored to be the first wedding person that they asked to be a part of it. And uh, it's been great. If it's not speaking at a convention or uh, doing an interview or writing an article about this, that, and the other. And it doesn't even have to be canon specific. In fact, uh, Steve, the photo we're speaking about today is not a canon image. It's one that I did on a, as we're going to learn, on a Hasselblad camera, another another
0: very fun Okay, that was going to be one of my questions. And now that I know that, actually, that's going to change some things I ask about later because, and that brings Skip Cohen actually kind of back into it too. Uh, (laughs) Because Skip was the president of hospital blood for a long time. Yes, he um, was. I've had Rick Salmon on a bunch of times and a bunch of other Canon Explorers of Light. I just think it's an interesting program because it, it shows that, that the one thing that I think Canon just really nails is giving back to the photo community. They they fly Canon Explorers of Light around to do presentations at, at photo exhibitions and shows or photo groups. Photography through, schools as well. Photography yeah, school. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. such a cool program. Um, I mentioned in the intro... That you are known as one of the best wedding photographers in the world. But really, it gets even more interesting than that. Because American Photo rated the top 10 wedding photographers on the planet, right? They made you number one. And I'm. we all know you're good, right? And there's a lot of great photographers. And you have an amazing talent. And that's great. But even when you're at the top of your game, that's got to be something that makes you want to phone home. Well,
1: it's an honor. And of course, those are very kind words coming from that that, that wonderful publication and those editors and such. But, you know, I'm just out there uh, trying to do what I think is right. And I'm honored that uh, that folks within the business respect, uh, you know, what I'm up to. It's a, It's been a lonely place in, in the sense that stylistically, I was going against the, 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 the waves of the ocean. Uh, I, I basically, uh, as a photojournalist, as a wedding photojournalist, sort of um, deviate from the normal whole still look here and smile uh, the, the photography with with use of mouth and direction and prompting and suggestion uh, bringing of props posing of jimmy choo shoes and rings and all of that i'm just in a different space I, uh, I i the 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 choreographed wedding photography is the exact opposite of what i do so for for canon to embrace it for american photo to embrace it and say you know what you're out there. There aren't many folks who, who approach wedding photographer as a as a follower of the action and, and not a leader. A uh, distinct difference, right. you know. I'm there to anticipate and document. I'm not there to orchestrate or suggest. It is not, in my opinion, a fashion shoot. So it it, it honestly attracts a different client and, and and a different level of respect of photography because some people judge photography by precision perfection to a commercial standard you know can we put a meter on it and see whether it's exactly right right or is it more of an art form where it's really more about the moment than the technical necessarily technical proficiency that said i do typically like photographs that are in focus and properly exposed and well lit but honestly those are all secondary to the moment capturing the essence of something that can be preserved forever the feelings between two people or the tear from a father's eye seeing his daughter in the in the gown for the first time there's so many moments like that that's what's king or queen not not the technical perfection i'd love to have both but if i had to prioritize one it's always going to
0: be the moment you you made a couple of interesting points in there and that is yes what you do is at times, 180 degrees opposite of what we think of as wedding photography, and yet you've still been embraced by those magazines and those entities that that's you know uh, cheer and support wedding photography. But also, one of the things I love about your approach to your photography is it it is still. Uh, wedding photography, but it's it's so much more environmental. Even your detail shots, like you have a shot I love on your website of it's it's legs and a dog, um, or you know two small kids. They're they're almost detail shots in some ways, and yet they're environmental. And what happened just now as you were talking was you made the comment of a father crying, mm-hmm. and the I, I could almost picture how you would shoot it. Because of the way you capture things, and I actually DJed weddings for 18 years, so I'm well familiar with that world, <laughs> just a lot. A, as a You're photographer. A lot. Um, you have been featured because of your work and the, the type of clientele that you have. And your clientele, you know, we're talking James Taylor and Mariah Carey and, and Tori Burch, and you are most famous as being known as the Kennedy family wedding photographer which is going to lead us into today in a minute. But I do want to mention, you've been on Oprah. You've been focused on VH1, CNN. I could go on Entertainment Tonight, the BBC, uh, all the way over to China television. You've been on the covers of Life, People, and a lot of other ones. And I'm I'm kind of curious to you. In fact, you've got photos. Correct me if I'm wrong on this. You do have photos in the Smithsonian Museum of American History, right?
1: Correct. That and the National Portrait and, Gallery, too. Uh, both, yeah. i honored to, if they ask, of course I sent. It took me a while to prepare them, but yes, absolutely. I I, uh, I accepted their request of honor, with honor and supplied them with a, a few of my uh, images, which I'm thrilled to have in their permanent collection.
0: Absolutely. So, I mean, you, the, the the resume so stands on its own <laughs> well,
1: that, it's, that
0: it's just amazing. But- There's something I didn't know about you until I was researching to have this chat, and when this popped up in front of me, it it lit my eyes up because I'm a fan of handling copyright properly. So I've had, I'm sure you know, Jack and Ed, Ed Greenberg and Jack Resnicki. So I've had them on two different shows. And I actually did a walkthrough of since the 2018 update on the registration process. I did a full walkthrough of my registration process um, with some advice, actually, even from Jack after I made it. He gave me a couple of things he, he think thought should be added. You've actually twice addressed Congress on copyright for- reform. I don't want to make this a copyright show, but I am curious. As a photographer that shoots at the level that you shoot at... What do you see as the status right now of copyright for photographers? About to change uh, for the good, uh,
1: there, there is a there are um, two bills, one in the House and one in the Senate. That, in fact, as late as uh, today, I received uh, emails from uh, PPA, the Professional Photographers of America, who have been terrific in this process as well, um, talking about, you know, it's, this is the time to write your senator and write your congressman uh, or congresswoman and let them know how we feel about this, uh, this, uh, this, this, this enhancement, which allows a small claims court-type process for infringers of a copyright. You know, copyrights are under a federal law, but Correct. there are no federal small claims court. Those are for cities and maybe states or your county or whatever. But when it's the federal law, right now, it's very expensive to, to proceed against someone who has borrowed your photograph for some commercial purpose, put it on some you know, book cover or, or, or some, you know, some usage for profit uh, well, I think the photographer, the, the creative artist, obviously needs to be compensated for that. There needs to be a respect for the copyright. This law, and i, I will I should mention supported by both sides of the aisle it 's neither a democratic right. nor a republican sort of thing it's not it 's not that way it 's just i think good business to allow us visual artists to have an added um, uh, resource for uh, adjudicating for resolving issues about potential infringement. Yes, it impacts me, but it, it, it impacts many, many other photographers, mom and pop studios, portrait places, uh, folks where, uh, especially with online and, and the ability of Instagram and other uh, social media uh, avenues to allow the, the, the use of, the, the, the copying of, the unauthorized use of images. And, you know, if it's, it's for some situations, you may just allow personal use, a young person trying to talk about fun weddings or right. idols in their mind. That's one thing. But a commercial entity that has advertisement and for-profit usage where your photograph is used as bait to bring in some bigger fish and a cha-ching, you know, a, a revenue for them, I think it's only fair that the that the visual artist is compensated for the use of their photograph as being that bait, as you know, this is how we earn our living. And I think that the, the, the Congress now understands that. And If this law goes forward, it's just one mechanism that allows us a far less expensive way to deal with infringers by, by having something sponsored by the copyright office. Have persons listen to it and say, here's what's fair, pay that and be done with it, as well, opposed and, to and a
0: federal case. When, you know. when PPA started pushing for the small claims idea, people were saying, yeah. well, that's just ridiculous. There is You can't do federal law in a small claims court. Right. What they didn't understand is kind of where we are now, and that is a division yeah. of the US copyright office will be set aside right. to act as similar to a small claims right. court and then you know. Almost so many, mediator
1: type people who are exactly, experienced exactly. in that
0: area. Right. Um and I see so many people say, Well, just don't you know, use social media and put your images online. The problem is no. from a marketing point of view, that's where we <laughs> yeah. are today. If you are yeah. that small mom pop wedding photographer yeah. or, you know, family photographer, yeah. you need to market yourself with your work and you need to feel safe that you're protected. I, I, I do want to go into the photojournalism thing before we bring up the shot, because you are known as the pioneer, the all, pretty much the creator really of wedding photojournalism. You have a photojournalistic background, but what made you make the connection, right? So you start shooting weddings. You have a photojournalism background. Okay, that sounds logical, but still most people that shot for newspapers or whatever go pose wedding groups. (laughs) You connected the two. What what was the switch for that? A couple of people were very
1: influential uh, to me, toward me, when I was 16 and 17 years old. One of them was my small town uh, newspaper editor with his cigar in his mouth. And he would just tell me, you know, you go to that event with your camera and you don't make the news. You report the news. You don't use your mouth. You use your heart and your mind and mostly your camera to find a great moment. So it was all about anticipation, telling a story, but not to make the news. And that's what he told me. My uncle Sammy, uh, Reggie, the same way uh, when I photographed his daughter's wedding. Gosh, this is 40 plus years ago. uh, He just said, I just like those photos that are just when you aren't even aware of the camera. Obviously, I was very taken by that notion I had never done a wedding before and that was my first for my for my first cousin but my uncle told me the importance of moments discovered which resonated uh, um, almost reverberated what I had been told by uh, Sam sonier of the Crowley post signal in my hometown of Crowley Louisiana so many years ago when I was doing a little after after high school job and then weekends and Friday night football games I was I was that's where I learned to be a photojournalist but with, with strong impact from this um, very savvy uh, journalist um, editor who sort of told me the ropes about telling a story, authenticity, and that you didn't want to make the news the way you wanted it to be. And all of that resonated when I started going to weddings. And I saw, wow, weddings are completely fiction. The photographer is making them do things that really – that doesn't exist. It doesn't tell the story. It's, and often it's they put- don't actually even want to do yeah yeah and and then as an added bonus i also learned uh, over the years that when people are not aware of the photographer or the camera they actually look so much better and the antithesis of that today the selfie where you see all these young women and men and such you know uh, contorting their faces to look uh, interesting and yeah. and arty and fun it looks nothing like them because they're so aware of the camera it's all about the camera and what you end up with is an odd image almost a humorous image but there's so much deep there's so many deeper moments at a wedding where you don't want that edge right you you really want what's in the heart you want a tear you want an expression the authentic emotion and i think that is best found Uh, And I think my editor, God rest his soul from way, way back, would probably agree that it's it's it's
0: needs to be discovered, captured and documented, not orchestrated. You just okay? So I used to make a comment in the years that I DJed weddings. There was and and it's one photographer that I'm thinking of off, off the top of my head. And that is there, you know, there were always people taking candids, but they weren't they were taking candids going around snapping but not this one individual. He would crouch next to a dance floor. He would sit next to a bush and look through the, he had top view viewfinder, like an yep. old Hasselblad type thing. Yeah. Um, and he would just sit there and, sit, and I'd watch him and he'd sit Good there for, for 10 minutes looking through that viewfinder. <laughs> right. And I immediately, and I wasn't a photographer at the time. And I immediately went, he's waiting for the picture to frame itself. <laughs> right correct. And good br- for him. <laughs> I mean, just brilliant. Do yeah. you pose anything? I mean, do you do formal wedding party shots? Of course, that's going to be the, the 3% of
1: my coverage. You know, the 97 is what I'm known for. But honestly, Steve, if I, if I left a, a, an assignment, large or small, famous people are not famous people. Without doing the 3%, I'd likely be in trouble Uh, Because that's, it is a part, it's a part of history, a family, a wedding party, uh, the bride and her bridesmaids are family, you know, it's, of course, the official shot of the bride, the the couple. Yes, they're the big five pictures that we need that are formal and posed. But can we do those in 15 minutes? Wouldn't that be nice? Instead of what we used to spend an hour, an an hour hour and a half, or, or hand them some balloons and have them on the hilltop and all those, those terrible things. But, you know, those, those phony fashion-esque images, but no, I think that it's definitely a part of it. And, uh, we, we show those on my website as well, because I want people to know, listen, I'm known for photojournalism and finding moments. That's, that's my thing. And we love that. That's, that's the mainstay, but it doesn't mean we don't, walk away from those important uh, groupings for historical purposes.
0: And and really, that separates the event. You have family portraiture and event, which is really what a wedding is in, in so many ways. Uh, let's get into today's shot. And before I bring it up, I want to, for those of you that have not seen this shot or don't know the shot, because I've tried to be really secretive on social media about what we were going <laughs> to talk about. Um, the Wall Street Journal called this image, the, the one we're going to do today, The and I'm quoting here, the watershed image that transformed wedding photography forever. It's also been said, the most famous wedding photograph in history. This is the shot. This is John Kennedy Jr. and Carolyn Bassett. their wedding. Was, I think it was 1996.
1: Correct. September 21st. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm old enough to remember this event in history and the entire country probably from that day knew when this event happened. For those of you that are listening on the audio feed, I'm going to try and do something that I always do. I should probably have you do it, but I'm going to try. (laughs) I try and describe the picture for those of you that are on an audio feed that have not seen it yet. And I don't know how to describe something that literally, as I just mentioned, has been called a transformative shot for an entire industry, but here we go. This is John Kennedy Jr., and his bride, Carolyn Bisset. they're leaving what look, and we'll find out these details in a minute, but what looks like a small chapel, and there actually is a sign that says First AB Church on it, and it says founded in 1893. So when I say they're leaving what appears to your eye to be a, an old, small, very small, uh, weathered building and chapel, we know that it is, and it was founded in, in 1893. As they're leaving, there's people behind them as though they just walked out of the ceremony. There's vines crawling up the wooden steps. John is kissing her hand and she's got this just, I'm a hopeless romantic, right? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and, and you'll know what I mean by this. She's got this just amazing look as she looks at his face and it's just, um, and it's got a slight Dutch angle to it as well. So, all right, let's dive into this. This was Hasselblad you said earlier. <laughs> Yeah, let me was, say, well
1: spoken. By the way, thank you for your beautiful description of it. And, did I mean, it do was, all right? Yeah, I mean, it was—it was. Listen, it was such a magical moment, and, I, and, and I'm with you on this. It's her expression that really—I mean, John is being that prince of a gentleman.
0: He's being what you picture, yeah, as as JFK's kid.
1: Yeah, just a gentleman honoring this great woman. He's going to spend the rest of his life with all of that. It had the right feeling, but her expression of being caught off guard, surprised yet elated, joyous, loving. Her face, her expression, I think, really cinches the photograph in terms of the magic between the two of them. His, the gesture of a prince, hers, the reaction of someone just entranced by his romantic gesture to reach for her hand and bring it to his lips. Wow.
0: There's There's just one of
1: those moments.
0: That's it. Everything in this picture is is uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, it's it's Prince like, right? Everything in this, and for those that say it, no, I'm not talking about the musical artist. Okay, <laughs> this is Romeo and Juliet happening no. in front of your eyes. There's a good way to word it, and no. the way that it's lit. Whether Which we'll get into, the dodging, burning, lighting, whatever it is, she actually, partially because of her hair color, her dress color, her face is lit more as you would do. She seems to be the main subject. This was a Hasselblad. Yes. Um, Do you know what lens you used for this? Oh, I know very well. It
1: was a 60 millimeter, uh, a 3.5 Distagon, one that I chose very purposefully because – let me say that this wedding sort of evolved, the assignment evolved, because this was supposed to be a daytime wedding. But for reasons of, I've heard a couple of explanations, but the fear of helicopters discovering them because it was a secret wedding, because they were trying to avoid paparazzi blitz, understandably. Right. Um, the wedding, which was supposed to be, I think it was like 4.30 or something, which would have been daytime, ended up being later, like almost seven o'clock, nighttime and then there was a light rain and it, and then you're in a place with there's no electricity there there are no streets this is Cumberland Island off the coast of Georgia in a as best i can say it a jungle setting which this would explain church-
0: the vines yeah, well, I mean, some of the vines actually, actually look dead. Even it, it really looks yeah. like a dilapidated
1: old classic church. That is, a, that is exactly what it was, and I think what it is—they've sort of uh, kept it, you know, at that same level of of, of quaintness. Uh, I, I should mention, even the floorboards in the little tiny church, which must have been—I don't know—twenty feet by fifteen feet. It wasn't very big. Even the floorboards were were parting. So that vines were growing through the floorboards. Inside. No air conditioning, no electricity. Inside. Yeah, inside as well. So it was, it was rickety to say the least, but it was that rusticness that gave it authenticity and a connection with nature. They used no perfectly arranged flowers. Everything was chosen from the island in a very simple fashion. There was no grandeur. The the greatness of the wedding was in its simplicity. The elegance of the wedding was not in the expensiveness of it, it was in the simplicity, just the, the, the connection to nature and the way things were. And yes, it was a, 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 a slave's church. It was used by the slaves in that time period, working on plantations, an African Baptist church from the 19th century, rebuilt, I think, in the 30s. So this place was probably 65 years old. And, and, and the paint, I'm sure, not much newer than that, right? Uh, and again, uh, from a photography point of view, there was also the challenge of taking a camera that in 1996 didn't focus itself, right? There was no little red beam. There were no AF autofocus lenses. So this had to be done manually. And exposures had no way, the, the algorithm couldn't hone in on the face it didn't know where the face was. Yeah, there's was no just, spot
0: metering and and yeah,
1: there's none of that. Yeah, this is this is a, a Metz 60CT4 flash, a big potato masher on a bracket that I had designed to hold it above the camera, 60 millimeter. So it's lens. like
0: a so it's it, it's like a wedding uh, photographers flash bracket to to elevate it off where a hot shoe would be, and yeah. off of off of lens angle, but it is attached to the camera.
1: It is attached to the camera on, on a bracket to raise it. Oh, I don't know, maybe maybe uh, you know, fifteen inches or so above the above oh, the lens. Wow. Uh, Sixteen inches. Uh, remember, the, the the flash itself is probably twelve inches tall. So you're just giving it that six, seven, eight, eight inch push upwards so that the light emanates from a position that gives a more favorable shadow under the chin. You don't want the light too close to the lens because then you don't have a a, a a defining shadow between the jaw and the neck visually you want that that shadow which is which is really beautiful when the flash is just slightly elevated you know so that the light emanates i don't know 16 17 18 inches above the lens it's
0: manual power on the flash too
1: it could be but i I did not use it that way i always used it because things happen so quickly i'm actually using the the uh et the the uh the uh the otf excuse me off the film it's ttl that's through the lens But it's OTF, it's off the film plane. So Hasselblad put a sensor that read the reflectivity of light otf off the film so there was a sensor in the hasselblad 503 cxi maybe cw i can't remember which one but it was in the 503 series a manual crank hasselblad with that nice little gizmo inside that sensor to read the flash and then a a series of connective uh adapters the mets adapters that they uh designed to interface with the flash basically the flash's output was a function of the reading of the light hitting the film plane. And the only way you could adjust the exposure, or compensate, I should say, is by dialing in an ISO, either the true ISO of the film. This was uh, Kodak's PMC, a a 400-speed, medium-to-low-contrast, color-negative film, professional-grade, a very wonderful And beautiful film Kodak PMC it was advertised at 400 most of us shot it at either I would say 320 some people would even give it another third of a stop bring it down to 250 so that you would in essence overexpose it based on what they advertised it as being now as I was looking at this scene for John Kennedy and Carolyn Bissett, I knew they were coming out of the chapel I put the 60 on because there was no way I could focus an 80 because it was so dark that an 80 is just too critical of a focus. Whereas with a 60, especially if I stopped it down to F8, uh, even F11 or somewhere in between, I knew that I had a superb chance of getting it crisp in focus. Even if I didn't bring it to my eye in focus, I'd have a superb chance. Uh, And because there was no light, I actually, in the darkness, racked the lens all the way to infinity. And I thought, well, it's not going to be infinity. And then I just backed it away based on experience to what I thought would be you about guessed? eight seat I guessed. I had no other way of doing it because it was in 100% darkness. I could not see the hand in front of me when I shot the photo. I only saw them because of, I saw them in silhouette from the only light in the scene, which were the candles on the back wall. Of the, of the chapel. So I saw them come out of the church in silhouette. There is absolutely no frontal lighting. There are no street lights. There are no streets. There are only paths in a jungle. There's no housing. There's no automobiles. There's nothing. So this this also, not only the, the most famous photo, likely, of my career so far, but also the most difficult, I would say, without question, because technically... Hold on, hold on, hold
0: on. Yeah, hold
1: on. Yeah. Yeah. It was done they in, are, under the toughest okay. of circumstances. With no assistant, right? They're just thirty five people plus me, their hired photographer, to document it, no one to even assist me. So I'm there focusing a camera that can't be focused at night. And planning on a daylight shoot. Planning on yeah, I, I came there fully equipped for a daylight shoot. It ended up two and a half hours later, so it became a nighttime shoot. It started raining, okay, as well. And then the, as we know, the face of that church is white. And do you know what reflective metering does when it sees white? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it shuts down. So you're going to be underexposed by at least a stop. So then again, I had to look at it and say, okay, I know when I step out at eight feet, my 60 millimeter lens is going to be seeing all of that white. So I downgraded the ISO to 125 so that the system would work harder to compensate for the whiteness of that exterior, because See, if I it, didn't do that, it would it'd be trying to make it 18% gray. And in doing that, the only way you make white gray is by giving it less light, and the less light would have underexposed the actual subject of the image. So it, the way you did it in those days, believe it or not, is that you fibbed to the Hasselblad dial, and you said that the film was not 400 or 320, but the film was 125 to make the flash system work that much harder to not be fooled, if that's the right word, by the whiteness of the subject. Otherwise, the negative would have been grossly underexposed. Now that's 20 years of thinking, because I was 20 years into my profession. Uh, See, and that this, letting, is, this, yeah. this
0: happens to everybody today. This is what happens if you go out and shoot snow. I mean, it's the same scenario, and that is it sees a, a, a mountain of snow, it wants to make it 18% gray, but the the okay i don't even know where to go man it's pitch dark you're using every skill and every tool in your toolbox to go okay i see a silhouette i know it's them i know i want to get it i know what it's going to do because she's got a white dress and the building is white um and not only that But if it underexposes, then the detail in his suit goes away, too, because he's wearing a black tuxedo. So you need to get something in there. You have, of course, this is film, so it's not like shooting today. You have leeway in a dark room, but not like a raw image. Right. Did you know? I mean, was there any sense to you ahead of time that there would be this moment? Or was it just whatever the heck they're doing, I'm going to get it? I don't know what it's going to be. And when the flash went off, you went, oh my gosh, she's kissing her hand. Yeah. Uh, actually, actually,
1: you know, because it's a Hasselblad and it's a reflex and because my eye is often in the, at the camera in the viewfinder, You actually don't see when the flash goes off because the mirror has moved up. So you actually don't see the image when the flash goes off. Right, it's blocking the viewfinder at that exact second. So you really don't even see it then. So this was a peculiar one. Let me say I had done, obviously, hundreds of weddings. I had done John's sister's wedding, Caroline Kennedy, 10 years before. I had done many other Kennedy weddings at that point. But my point is the experience is... You know that's a magical moment. They're just married. They're getting out of that chapel. There's the feeling of we've done it. There's so many emotions happening for every couple, not just John and Carolyn, at that moment as you're coming at that through the threshold, through the through the doors, uh, you know, crossing crossing into your your life together down those steps. I knew when it would be there. I sensed that it would be. But how do you document it? Is another. I would also add. Remember, it's film, so I'm limited to 24 shots on a 220 roll. That was probably, you know, two or shot number two or three because I reloaded, knowing that was going to be a hot moment. But then, by the time they come out of the church, I'm still their photographer, even though that shot has been done. I need other moments. Now they're away from the white, and they're all in the in the in the sea of blackness of the dark, which means that the 125 setting is no longer correct because now the flash is seeing black and not white so i now take the now spin the dial from 125 all the way up to 400 or 500 why am i doing that because the flash is going to see reflectively the black and i don't want to overexpose their face right. where they where the where the negative becomes overly dense so it's really dealing with extremes you could say well at those at those times maybe it would have been better to just use a fixed output flash and it may have been but again this was happening in real time and my comfort was in reflective metering because I'm constantly going close and then far and moving. So I want my flash to work with me to allow me the fluidity of being near or far the subject, whether they're having a white background or a black. So I'm having to work my hand and babysit the ISO dial to make sure that my exposures are perfect. 60 millimeter lens, magnificent. I was down to f8 and a half that's way down there you're going to have a lot that's in focus it was tack sharp and and I should mention that the exposure ended up being on the money they put it on the little computer at the lab and it's right where it should be in terms of the
0: density so which is the 20 years of experience and what you've just described i gotta tell you yeah i need to get you into a photo pit at a concert because what you just described is what i go through every single concert where black singers got a spotlight on him but it's all black background or lead singers got a spotlight on him but now suddenly they turn on landing lights behind him very similar it's the same thing and you 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 um what I tell young concert photographers is or people starting out in concert photography and I've taken wedding photographers I've got a good friend who's a really good wedding photographer uh, amazing you know talent but I've taken him to a show with me before and he left frustrated now the truth is he got amazing <laughs> shots but for him it was very difficult because it was so dynamic yeah. in what was happening and you you because of the nighttime the old church being on an island in the middle of nowhere so with it being like that scenario, I'm curious about the composition because I love what you got in the church, right? You got that sign. And I'm I, I'm going to say, while she's the star, the sign's the story, telling me it's from the 1800s, telling me, yes, it is a church, not just a barn, right? The sign really tells me the story, the weathered paint, all of that type stuff. So This image, I I should have mentioned this when I described it for people on audio feed. This image is a square crop. And I'm curious, what made you go with the square crop and what made you do the Dutch angle?
1: I use the Dutch angle a lot because I like a little bit of a tilt. I just think movement is is believable. But this one might be just a tad more exaggerated because quite honestly, I'm walking backwards when I'm taking the shot and there's a dog... There was a, actually a wild boar, pig, behind me. So I'm dealing with animals. I'm dealing with an area that I can't see. It's uneven ground. It's, it's, it's uh, it, it basically is, I'm actually kind of fumbling around as I take it. That being said, I always enjoy a slight tilt to my camera. It just is it's more interesting to me. And you're right that the the little sign on the far right does show the name of the, or the initials of the African Baptist Church from the 19th century. That's true. Now, when it was the cover of uh, USA Today, they ran it uh, 16 inches or whatever, massively, on page one. That didn't show because they cropped it out. It was the cover of uh, Life magazine. That wasn't shown. It was the cover of so many other magazines, uh, uh, L magazine in France. Again, they just show the action of the couple. Most magazines, by the way, corrected, as they say, the Dutch. Do they They really? They eliminated. Newsweek did not, and I called them. The day it came out and i spoke to the the photo editor and he came on he goes it's dennis reggie he said he said yeah he goes mr reggie you're either going to be very angry with me or very happy i said i'm very happy of all the national press they were the only ones that preserved the Dutch angle, and they allowed it to be seen as a square in its entirety the way I intended it and shot it. Everyone else was, like USA Today, had to correct it to fit within those three columns going right, down the front right. page. So they're
0: straightening it and all of that. And which, there was is, that- which is, I mean, it's understandable, but here, here here's what's funny. Yeah. I'm, I'm personally doing what I shoot, which yeah. is pretty much exclusively music-related stuff. I don't use a lot of Dutch angle. I'm not a fan of it in the type of genre that I shoot. Right, and yet, especially with this square crop, it breaks up the geometry. Right, so it creates triangles in <laughs> yeah. areas. So, in this particular case, it's not just a presentation choice. It's it literally is being used to take what is effectively a dead center subject, and and add to that that uh, add um, interest to that comp that composition. Yeah. Did you push
1: it to the right side? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and change the weighting, right? Yes. Plus get the sign in there, which I'm sorry to me is just huge. That sign being in there is huge. Whoever cropped that up for a magazine should, should be talked to. Um, yeah, I, Steve, I, I
1: moved, I moved away from them more so than I probably do for other couples. And that was a happy benefit that I was aware of because I had seen the sign, but I am actually a foot or two, maybe three, probably two and a half feet farther away from them than I normally would be of a couple, a newly married couple in a similar situation. What's the reason? Because to raise the propensity of having a tack sharp image that you're guesstimating focus on, you want to increase the distance away from them. The closer I am, the more critical the focus is, but I'm in a hundred percent dark environment. So the reason I'm moving away is what? Because my 20 years is telling me to maximize the potential for a 100% in-focus photograph, the photographer must move away from them to put them closer to the infinity on his lens. Right. Because otherwise, the closer I get, the more critical it is, the more difficult it is to guesstimate how to make them in focus.
0: See, you see? people, photographers need to think like that more today. You know, we have zoom lenses and a lot of people still shoot primes. But even with a zoom lens, understanding that five, six is not five, six, five, six at the number five, six with all other exposure variables, the same is a variable depth of field based on a number of factors. So it's not just know your camera and know the settings. It's you got to really understand what's happening with light. Did you do anything in the dark room on? I mean, did you dodge and burn this or did somebody else? It's pretty much a straight shot,
1: but, but uh, it's, it's printed no, by printers. It was done at uh, CPQ uh, Labs in, uh, in, in Cleveland, Tennessee. I flew flew from the wedding. I flew into Tennessee to process on the Sunday. A wonderful crew came in. I couldn't tell them who the client was. All I said was, it's a VIP. I just need the lab to be open on a Sunday. So they brought in four people that basically we worked together and then I I, I left with a 12 by 12 or thereabouts, 11 by 11 photograph, nice size, beautifully done, which I walked into the Associated Press as as planned with John and Carolyn to release it at 10 a.m. on Monday morning once they were safely at their honeymoon destination. I had no idea that it was gonna be the insanity of, oh my God, I mean, it was, our phones just lit up at my office within 10 minutes, And, of course, they all wanted story. And, of course, I I give no interviews whatsoever. More photos, absolutely not. We just agreed to release the one. Later, we did release a second one, the one during the ceremony, done on a Canon camera, by the way, my 35-millimeter shot of them exchanging vows. really pretty, um, with the the orange, the warm light of the candle and the flash. Did they like this shot? Oh, they loved it. (laughs) Yeah, he did. They, they absolutely they were they were very happy about it and of course that that made my that made that made me very happy as well what a wedding photographer wants to do above, above all is to is to make his clients thrilled with the delivery and this is one uh, And this is i should mention the days before email where i couldn't just email them and say here's the shot i'm about to release are you good with it they said to me we trust you and that's why you're here and then carolyn said but I do want my full dress to show top to bottom because my dear friend did it and it has to show the dress. I said, got it. I said, I'll pick a great shot of the two of you that shows the dress. Another reason I knew this was going to be a critical shot, you know, because how many times can you get the couple in a journalistic, emotion-filled moment that shows the full dress? You know, cutting of the cake, they're going to be behind a table or, you know, that's half length. I wanted the she asked me for the full length. That's why I went specifically for that moment. And when I took it, I, I I had a pretty good feeling that it was going to be a magic. It's moment. just,
0: I mean, seriously, man. It's, I mean, I don't need to tell you. You kind of already know, think, but no. still, I do need to tell <laughs> was, you. It 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 is just such a brilliant shot. I'm curious because I mentioned I, I have a friend, a very good friend of mine, who is one of the best wedding photographers I know. Um, and I've met other wedding photographers, and I've seen people say, you know, I want to do an experiment. Well-known photographers that don't shoot weddings. There's one in my head right now who actually put on social media, I'm going to shoot five weddings. If I choose you, the condition is that you have to let me do it photojournalistic style. So I'm I'm kind of curious because there are, it, yeah. there are photographers that shoot weddings in your traditional standard way that may want to segue to more, maybe not a whole journalistic wedding, but segue to just including some of that. What's your one big tip for people who want to try and do something as an experiment to try and and get the idea of photojournalistic weddings.
1: Volunteer to be an unspoken second or third shooter at a buddy's wedding who has the mainstay. A hired photographer's there, let him or her deliver what they're supposed to. But if you wanna learn photojournalism, go there as the volunteer second photographer or even third photographer and allow yourself to do things without speaking. Wedding photojournalism is a quiet pursuit. Quiet is very important because the magic is you don't want the awareness of the camera. The greatest secret I can give you is phenomenal moments happen when people aren't tied into the fact that they're being photographed. Awareness is the greatest enemy of incredible wedding photographs. This shot that we're looking at today, the uh, JFK Jr. and Carolyn Bissett It's magic, but much of the magic is because they aren't thinking about me. I'm I'm just, I'm, I'm the historian. I'm the historian with a big Hasselblad capturing the moment, but they're having this wonderful moment because I'm not ordering them, suggesting, prompting, why don't you try this, look at me, stand here, kiss her hand, bend her over your arm and give her a smoochy kiss, all of those things that could somewhat sound hokey anyway. uh, Why not find and discover actual moments that happen and come away with images that are authentic? Those are, in fact, timeless moments, because all the other ones are trendy that get laughed at later, like blue ruffled tuxedo shirts from the 70s. We laugh at that because it's trendy, like brides and grooms on railroad tracks or walking the streets of of your city in traffic. That's just a trend. And I'm thinking, yeah, but that doesn't say anything about them. I mean, what does that say about the couple? It says nothing. It just says the photographer asked them to do
0: this. Well, We'll and and that's actually a really good point. You could not, I would wager, if if a wedding photographer went up to a couple like this and told them, stand here, stand here, grab her hand. I'd be fired. <laughs> you know, put your right hand here, right yeah. on your hip, oh hold my. your flower. Yeah. You would never get the authenticity of this. Particularly, again, I'm going back to her face, right? She wouldn't be surprised. And she could fake the surprise, she could fake a smile, but I'm sorry, you can it'll just it'll always tell. look fake. Steve, it'll always
1: look fake. I believe we can innately look at a photograph and know, as you study it, as a photographer or as a viewer of art, you will know whether there is knowledge of the process and the camera and the photographer or not. And there's an incredible difference in photographs where the subject is aware versus those when they're unaware. And much of what you're describing so kindly about my photograph that we're discussing today is just that. It is Carolyn being so unaware of being documented, it's all focused on him. He's all focused on her. And if it was faked, we would know it. And the moment would not be there. And the photo would not be as special. It is authenticity, reality, and non-awareness of the camera that makes for great imagery. And actually, and I that's just want to that. the to I got to pull
0: that shot up again because there's something else I want to point out. The other thing you would lose... If you staged this, for lack of a better phrase, is the fact that there's one guy that's halfway looking out of the doorway, but he knows you're taking the picture. So he's kind of pulling back hiding. There's another guy that's looking back into the church that doesn't realize you're taking a picture that's, well, if you were staging this, you would, can you move (laughs) for me? And then you lose the fact that it's an authentic moment. I, I just, again, just literally brilliant. I'm curious. Somebody that, that has the years of experience of photography that you have, it, you know, and, and the Canon Explorer light, et cetera. You're a wedding photographer, but you're a journalist at heart, and you've got such a study of the art. If you could tell people to follow one photographer online, aside from yourself, who would you say that people really need to see their work?
1: I'd love to see more of Joe Busink's work because he really is a soulful individual. He's a wedding photographer based in Los Angeles. He's just a very special person. I think his images are, are, are truly amazing. Uh, I look historically, of course, at the Carte bressons and of course, I look at you know uh, imagery done for in those '40s. Alfred Eisenstadt, the great Izzy, you know, all these photographers from your past, years past. Uh, I, I I spend a lot of time on Instagram looking around, but honestly, my fascination is 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 really, I'd say, reserved for those in another time, uh, in a Life magazine mission, perhaps, uh, capturing people on the streets in real life. Uh, To me, it's all about the historical connection with documenting authentic moments. So uh, we're in a, a very rarefied sort of a little circle of of photographers that really think and act this way, many people say that they're that way. When you look at their portfolios, they're not talking the same thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about a journalistic documentation of a wedding. I think uh, Joe Busink, for a lot of his work, is there. Uh, I, I, by the way, I also love other types of photography as well. Uh, Bambi Cantrell, I think, is tremendous with her posing her very genius. Yeah. Oh my God, she's just phenomenal and so feminine with her posing and her images and with children and and, and women, individuals especially. She's just she's a genius. And I, and I think you, know, you have folks like that that are in that space. I, I follow dozens and dozens of photographers, but those are the ones that come off the top of my mind uh, well, as you ask me that question. Again,
0: to say thank you does not cover it. I want to remind everybody that obviously um, the image we talked about today and a small gallery of Dennis's work is is on the blog post as well as links to all of his stuff. Throughout the show, lower thirds, if you watch the video version, have been popping up with all of his URLs for all of his social media but it's dennisreggie.com. It's Dennis with one N, uh, dennisreggie.com. And there's links on your website to all of your social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all of that type of stuff. Dennis, thank you so much, man. I, this I, is and, so much fun. Skip, thank if you. If Skip Cohen's watching. I <laughs> we, owe you We one. both need to thank him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great guy. I owe him an adult thank beverage you. now.
1: <laughs> Good idea.
0: So uh, Dennis, thanks again very, very much. Love your work and, and people go follow him.
1: What an enjoyable way to spend an hour. Thank you so much for this, this wonderful chance to, to talk photography. I always love doing that. I'm a big admirer of your program and I'm honored to be a, a guest for this episode. Thank you so
0: much, Steve. I really, really appreciate it. Before I go, a couple of quick reminders for you. flurn, uh, if you're, you want to su- sign up for a subscription at flurn, you can get a 20% discount with the Behind the Shot code. It's Behind the Shot 20 the number 20, not the word 20, and it's no spaces in that. So head on over to flurn.com P H L-E-A-R-N. And again, 20% discount with that. Again, Flickr. Go over to the Flickr group. It's called Behind the Shot on Flickr. Find that group. Join the group. Submit your images with BTS critique as the tag. And Don Komarechka and I are going to pull a selection of images. We won't get to all of them, but we're going to try and go through pretty quick, more of almost like an image comp style where we'd give small amounts of information that we think are going to be the the top things that will perhaps get you to the next level and we'll be doing that coming up probably mid November so head on over there now. This is going to run late October so you'll have at least a couple of weeks to go and and get those submitted again as always thanks to my guest Dennis Reggie is just amazing dennisreggie.com it's d e n i s r e g g i e.com head over to his website check him out and to everybody else I really appreciate your watching. You can subscribe at BehindTheShot.tv. You can see the show notes for this episode at BehindTheShot.tv. And feel free to hit me up on social media. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next show.